Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another Adventures in Machine Learning. This week on our panel, we have Miguel Morales. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm just going to throw this out real quick. I'm starting a new podcast called Dev Influencers. You can find it at devinfluencers.com. If you're kind of stuck as a senior dev or at the top of your career trying to figure out where to go next, uh, Influencer might be a path you want to consider, so go check it out. We have a special guest this week, and that is Francois Bertrand. I get to practice my French. That's about as far as it goes, though, the fake accent. So, uh, Francois, do you want to introduce yourself and let people know who you are and why you're famous, all that good stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely very famous. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. I've been doing, uh, I'm passionate about data and data visualization, uh, always have been. My day job is in video games, which makes me a bit of an outsider in nice. the field. Yeah, no, it's great. But it's a, you know, it has similarities as a lot of software development does, where you, you, you're facing uh, hard problems that you have to creatively mm-hmm. solve. In my case, I do have an underlying passion for, for data. I'm the kind of guy who'd look at a you know, an Excel spreadsheet and just stare at it for an hour, just thoroughly enjoying it and seeing all the patterns and looking, crisscrossing. What does that mean? Oh, that's cool. That's great. Just somebody would be looking at me, think I'm insane, but that's, that's just the way it is. But so, you know, despite not being in the field, I did spend, you know, hundreds and thousands of hours in the last, you know, 20 years, as long as I've been doing development, doing all sorts of data projects out of, out of passion. I did way back in the day, I, I did some uh, genetic programming. I had all the genetic programming books in the 90s, probably wrote the world's most efficient genetic program programming system, you know, super multi-threaded parallel. I evolved these huge trees to, to fit a curve, but then I kind of didn't <laughs> ran out of problems to solve with that one. But so, yeah, I've, I've done all sorts of things along the years, wrote a couple articles on 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 stock analysis and, and you know, new ways to visualize data. My background in video games is a lot in graphics. So I'm, I'm very, and user interface, user experience. So this, fit, this fits really well with data visualization. We're trying to, to display all sorts of, of things, extract inf- information out of raw data. So there, there was a nice intersection of, of interest and expertise. And a couple of years ago, I wrote the Neo virtual reality system. I'm sure there'll be there'll be a link to share uh, there. There's a video on YouTube that shows it in action, where you can visualize all sorts of of, uh, of data in VR. It's actually that's that's a perfect example of a, of a crossover with video games, and it's really spectacular. I applied it to a couple of problems in Kaggle, and seeing physical. Physical data, you know, you're literally floating in a sea of data points, which is pretty awesome. Uh, I'm always looking for new ways to better understand data so you can do run analysis literally with your hands, circling data, getting the average of, of points, things like that. True positive, false positives positive, seeing all that visualized in VR is really spectacular. And I guess to to answer your original question, my biggest claim to fame, I guess, is writing the SweetViz data visualization library, an, an EDA library. And that was born out of a bit of frustration I have in general with software. I find myself asking, how is this even hard still in 2021? Things like I was trying to transfer a <laughs> file to, to somebody else, you know, a large not that large, a gigabyte file. And then you'd use this, we had trouble uploading it. The thing was disconnecting, all sorts of things that this should be a solved problem. And I run into this a lot doing data projects 
or, or things like reinventing the wheel. Because you start a project, you want to know what your data set is like. And there's you just re- repeat the same tasks over and over. And I feel, you know, computers, they're, they're pretty good at automating stuff. You know, they, they should, this should just work. I should just know immediately what what is the what is the composition of the data. Um, some libraries like Pandas Profiling, which is which heavily inspired Swedeviz, do a lot of that. Where they, you know, it, for those not familiar, it, it takes a, a data frame in Pandas and Python, and then you get a nice HTML report showing an analysis of numerical data, text data, categorical data. But I found it didn't go as far as I wanted to, and I thought you keep redoing the same thing. What's the missing data? What are the averages? What is the what are these other things I want to know? But then I, I wanted to see more. So that that's what SweetVis came out of. Interesting. Very interesting. And yeah, we were talking before the show and you mentioned that you were French Canadian. And um this is this is one of my favorite jokes to tell when I meet a French Canadian. And that is is that my grandmother was born in France. My grandfather was born in Canada. And so uh we have nothing in common. But anyway, <laughs> because <laughs> my grandfather was born in alberta not in quebec but anyway so yeah it's it's just funny because yeah folks in quebec they think of themselves a little bit differently than folks in the rest of canada and they speak french uh, as opposed to the rest of canada but anyway fun stuff yeah this is really interesting just because as we've kind of dived into machine learning over the last year that we've been doing this show it's it's been really interesting for people to basically talk about how their models and the things that they're working on are really only as good as the data that they have to work with, right? So as they train models, as they work through different systems and things like that, yeah, you know, they have to have good data to work from. And so being able to see it and sort of visually inspect it, you know, this seems like a really excellent tool for doing that. Yeah, I mean, originally, what the biggest thing I, I found missing from libraries like Pandas Profiling was you're often, you know, one, there, there's two main things about SweetViz that I think, you know, they saw, two problems that it solves that weren't being solved previously. One of them was if you're looking at a target variable, you know, going back to the, let's say the Titanic example, because it's so simple, you know, the, the survive, you know, did the passenger survive or not? When you look at a data set or, you know, the average price of the house, given, you know, if, if you're looking at a housing data set, you want to know how does that vary with every feature? So you can immediately see, okay, for in, in the case of house prices, how does that change based on the year of, you know, the house was built? So, and this is the kind of thing that's pretty that is extremely common at the same time should be trivial. You should know, you look at a data set every single time you want to know, okay, how's my target? variable influenced by all these other features. And that's what I, one of the main things I wanted to solve with SweetViz is that it immediately, you, if you give it a target variable, you'll see it graphed in, in, in correspondence with every other variable. And that's really valuable. Immediately, you, the ones that are truly influenced, the, you know, the variables that truly influence the target will jump out at you. The other thing is comparing. If you have a, a test set, a training set, or different subpopulations, you want to see how is the target variable changing, you know, influenced by subpopulation. Let's say male versus female. You know, which one of these people survived more? You know, in, in the Titanic example, and that's something that you really find. You know, you're asking yourself quite a bit, but that wasn't automated before. So SweetViz wanted to answer these questions that I think are, you know, really big that don't get an answer immediately, usually. So I have a quick question, uh, and I guess this is a little bit more basic than, than you know, going into those, into the details. But I'm sure that there's a lot of folks uh, listening to the podcast that are not necessarily, you know, data analysts data analysts or you know experts I'm I'm going to say in, in that in that area. So can you first of all, you know, define a little bit what exploratory data analysis is and and then second also uh kind of, you know, talk about the the the, imper- the importance of 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 communicating things with data, right? So because I I think so when I personally learn about uh data analysis and you know, learn to use some of the tools in a very basic way, I did so because I wanted to communicate something about what I found, right? So as opposed to prepare data to 
put into the model. Also data that came out of uh, my agents and things like that. So I, I needed to prepare that to show, to talk to, you know, VPs and higher level folks so that they could understand the findings that I was having. So c- can you go ahead and talk about those things? Sure. I mean, exploratory data analysis, and you can correct me if I'm missing anything, but it's really when you, you first get a set of data, you want to quickly get a hold of what is it made of? Because a lot of the data is is dirty, you know, that you get for, for a project. There's missing, there's missing elements. There's things that are doubled up. There's, you know, double data points, missing data points. Sometimes there's just wacky data points, you know, bad, bad data, you know, a lot of outliers. So, so you want to quickly, when you start working with data, not only find those out, but also get a general sense as quickly as possible of what is made up, you know, what is the makeup of your data, what kind of distribution. So, and you, you will find outliers that way, but so it's a way to, you know, in the first few hours to quickly understand, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. And then you figure out, okay, I need to fix the missing data. And if you have a good EDA, then you'll you'll know, okay, it would make sense to replace the missing data with, let's say, the average of, of something, or I'm just going to put zeros everywhere it's missing because, you know, of such and such reason. So EDA is really understanding the data. And the way, you know, you're talking about communicating, I think that it's kind of the same thing because the data, if it's clear to you, you know, it, it should be clear, you know, it's a, a good step towards being clear to someone else. So an EDA tool like SweetViz, where you it's it's inherently visual, you get a report with graphs and numbers and you can, and that's one of its strengths is that you immediately see, I was talking about who survived the Titanic and you see a curve of male versus female, boom, you know, visually it's there. You see the curve is much bigger for say female survivors. And then you can look at a, a graph by age and then you can see, oh, there's there's the, the really young ones survive and then there's a gap. And then you know, so you can kind of, you immediately understand your data more. And that's good for you as a data scientist, but also if you want to explain it to a client, because I, I have to say the models nowadays are pretty good, you know, in general. There's, if you look at uh, Kaggle, you know, data competitions, often there's, a, you know, there's a leaderboard with a thousand entries and the top 100 are, you know, this, you know, difference by 0.001%, right? You, you can see the, the good, you know, the good analysts will get that extra 0.001% performance out of their models. But in general, you get a sense that if you have good data, you know, they say uh, garbage in, garbage out. But if you, if you, a lot of the work is prepping the data to be clean and representative and not biased and those kinds of things. But it feels like the models themselves are, are pretty good if you give them good data. So a lot of the work is upstream to make sure you, you do get good data. And then it's, under, and that's part, part of it is understanding it, understanding it well. And if you understand it well, then it's also communicating your results because, you know, to, to your client or the stakeholders or, or whomever. So EDA is, is, is good, good both ways in, in that sense. So that's the long answer to that. The other thing with SweetViz is the, uh, it, it does correlation analysis, which is something that, you know, that, that, that exists, but is also very useful. It's part of that, that what I was saying about, okay, you want to know who survived the Titanic, then you can see, okay, this, the age and the gender, you know, is highly correlated or linked to the survivability. And there are, there, there's some issues with that because there's, there's a couple of correlation mechanisms that work with numerical data. So you can say, oh, this is, there's a numerical correlation between, you know, age and salary, you know, or whatever, two numerical fields. But if there's different methods to use categorical data versus numerical, say categorical like male, female, that's not a number, that's not a continuous number. So you, you're requiring new, you know, different methods to do that. So, so basically, there's, there's a whole bunch of methods to, to see what data is influenced by which data, but they're all separate. So one of the things SweetViz does is unify them in a single table that is, you know, more or less standardized. So you can see all your correlations at once. Whereas in, in some, with some other methods, you, you need to do numerical to numerical, numerical to categorical, categorical to categorical, and kind of, it's never in one place. And that's kind of the, one of the things I was talking about, you know, this should quote unquote, just work, <laughs> is, is putting, using the power of computers to, you know, get rid of the la- manual labor and hopefully do something very visual and striking. 
So that's another thing about it. I mean, in general, coming from a, a video game background, you know, it, it feels like, again, in 2021, doing EDA and even some, some early feature engineering and things like that, where you, you take, let's say, a date variable and, uh, or, you know, a date and time variable, and you say, okay, which day of the week is it, which month, because these could have, you know, important, this could help your model work better if you, if you break down a date into, you know, days, hour of the day or day of the week or month, these kinds of things. All these tasks you, you keep doing project after project. And again, I think if I had more time, oh my God, you know, <laughs> it's always, always time's a limiting factor. But if, you know, it feels like data EDA and some, some data analysis work could almost be like a video game. And, you know, again, pardon my background, but you should just see your data set, you drag and drop. Okay, this date, I want to do this. Oh, this field, it has, you know, 50% missing data. I'll just replace with the average. And then it just, you know, drag and drop and see it. And then, you know, because we have the technology, we, we can do this, but it's, you know, it, there's just all these little systems left and right that data scientists need to pull from. And it, you know, my, my, my utopia is that you can do all of that into one place. And yeah, anyway. It seems like like people still want to pay for video games as opposed to data analysis tools, huh? Yeah, that's (laughs) a whole other field. (laughs) So what kind of video games you work on? So what what kind of, I guess, part of the pipeline of a video game you work on? Is it in the front end or is it more like like the the back end stuff? We're an indie company. I'm I'm the co-founder of an indie studio. We've been around for 14 years. And we've, we pretty much as a founder and, you know, that's another thing, a similar data scientist. You do everything, right? We right. do because we're a small studio. You know, I'm, I'm doing design, graphics, engine work, pipeline. Again, very accounting. similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually <laughs> accounting. But it's very similar to data, data work because, yeah, you have assets coming in. There are all these different formats. You need to, you know, standardize into one thing. And then PlayStation needs one format. The Xbox needs another. The mm-hmm. iPhone needs another. And then you need to, to do that. Another aspect, you know, again, user interface, right? A game needs to be fun and intuitive. And that's, again, my bias for SweetViz is that, you know, Excel doesn't need to be fun or, you know, the Python. So, so, but in video games, you're always thinking about, okay, the user is going to look at this. And if he's not enjoying it, if it's not intuitive in five minutes, we're going to lose, lose them. So that's, that's, that's a lot of the work. But to answer your question, yeah, we're, we're a you know, relatively small shop, but we've worked on every platform in the last 14 years, like PlayStation, console, PC, mobile. We do some work for hire. We do some some of our own stuff, right? That's the the indie dream. You do some work for hire to pay for your personal creations. And hopefully it works out in the end. So does this play into the pipeline for the video games then, or is this kind of a side project? Unfortunately, it's a totally side project. I can't I can't okay. use that. Well, some in some cases, you you know, things like you know, you can train, mo- you can use models in games, but it, it's it's rarer. Things like AI and balancing gameplay. There are some fields in video games where data analysis is useful. The biggest one would be in free-to-play games and mobile games, where there's you know entire departments centered around metrics and customer retention and you have all these stats about users and active users retention and and doing a b testing and there's a lot of data analysis but we that's not the types of games we're working on right yeah i was just imagining i did an interview with a friend of mine yesterday and it's actually coming out as a bonus episode i think the same week that this episode goes live so if you're looking for it hang tight for a couple of days because i think it comes out on friday it's with my friend Jason and we were talking about how he got into video game development. And initially he was building essentially database query tools that would pull in reports for EverQuest. And then he moved up into actually writing video game code, right? For the game, instead of writing queries and stuff against the backend systems. And so Anyway, that's kind of where I was wondering if this would come in. But if you're not writing those kinds of massively multiplayer games that have a backend server that, you know, blah, 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 you're going to pull that kind of data set in and and analyze it, then yeah, I would imagine that this isn't going to be that kind of useful for you. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's man, EverQuest that that takes me back. Um, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first MMOs that that, that era. Yeah, um, my my experience with EverQuest. Just a quick side note was I got on an online dating system, got matched up with somebody, went on a date with her. And the whole time she complained to me about how her ex-husband did nothing but play EverQuest. And so I never went out with her again because that date was terrible. But I did go check out EverQuest because it sounded cool. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but I only played it for a couple of days and I was, you know, and then I was, you know, busy with school. So anyway, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting stuff. One thing that I'm curious about with this too is that, you know, going back to Sweet Biz, so this is written in Python. Is it web-based? Because I keep seeing HTML in the documentation and stuff. Or yeah. does it run inside of Jupyter or something like that? The answer is yes. <laughs> Meaning it's oh. <laughs> it's in yeah, it's all of it. It it runs in Python, which you know runs inside of Jupyter and outputs an HTML report. The the um, okay. you know the end result is an HTML file fully self-contained, and then it can I stick gotcha. itself inside of Jupyter or be standalone. I okay. mean. It, Again, if I had the most time in the world, I was thinking about, you know, hopefully making it interactive. And then I looked in even into, you know, OpenGL for the web, right? Having 3D, 3D reports and things like that. And that's all possible, which is it's a great environment. There's a lot of flexibility with, um, you know, HTML and, and plugging it everywhere. So it's promising, promising things, but just haven't had the time, that darn time. I know, right? Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, so it's it, it runs on its own. Similar to uh, Panda's profiling, which again was was the uh, the inspiration for it. Great, great job. Kudos to that team. Do you have any plans to add more features to it or is it more or less complete at this point? Oh my God. Yeah, again, the, the time factor because I have plans. Oh, do I have plans? I have <laughs> piles and piles Says of plans. Says every developer ever, right? <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, the plans, the visions I have for this. Like, oh my, the cross analysis, interactive fields, you know, the 3D stuff I mentioned, you know, reports, tracking the experiments. That's one thing, you know, to to optimize the parameters of, of models, you know, look, look at visualizing that in 3D things. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just the sky is the limit. There's so much, so much stuff in there. There is, you know, looking at the field, there's definitely, you know, if I was to do more work, there's, there's more visualizations, uh, obviously. But, you know, things like model uh, explainability, the imp- feature importance, these are things, you know, like I said, the, maybe the R&D on the models themselves, our models are pretty, pretty good. You know, feels like pipeline efficiency, explainability, visualization is where, you know, there's, 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 you know, more low-hanging fruit. And that's definitely where where I would like to work on in the future. There's a couple of, you know, pretty major things I would like to add to SweetViz maybe in the next year. And then after that, branch out into the, these other things, potentially. But man, so much, so much data, so little time. So Nice. The other thing that's always fun to hear about with some of these projects is, has anyone gotten back to you and said, hey, we're using this on this? Like... Maybe somebody said, hey, we took this to space or something. I don't know. Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> not not directly. Uh, I do know that Git, it's on GitHub. It's fully, you know, fully free, right. you know, open source, MIT, the most permissive. That's one thing I learned in video games is that it's really hard to, you know, to get people to, to try your stuff with the, you know, the internet. There's just so much stuff out mm-hmm. there. And, you know, for... For a brief second, I thought, well, maybe this could be a product. And it's like, nope, that's going to be way too much work. You need, as soon as you ask for, for anything, it just takes so much work. You know, you need to, to spend more time doing marketing to get people to buy in and really try it. So I, I you know, I, I wanted as many people to, to benefit from it as possible and just say, okay, it's free. And it's been forked quite a few times. I have no idea what people are doing with it, but it's very exciting <laughs> to see that it's being used, you know, it's, it's being useful in day to day activities for people. So that's that's the goal. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. I wanted to get back to uh, some of the things that you said in your intro. You talked about developing some genetic programming algorithm. Do you have, do you share that code as well? 
That's actually a bit too old. I need to dig that in, but it was that was interesting. I don't know if you how familiar you are with the genetic programming thing. Somewhat. I mean, not not you know too much. You know, in, in reinforcement learning, we use some of the derivative-free algorithms, including you know genetic algorithms. I suppose it's uh, I don't know if it's a different name than you know genetic algorithms, genetic programming, but I suppose uh, it's pretty much the same, right? Well, the genetic programming it's the same underlying concept. The thing with gener- genetic programming. And I, I got all the books by my Koza, I think, in the 90s, is that instead of my understanding of algorithms is that it's more about optimizing weights or kind of a flat set of data, whereas program, the programming part is optimizing trees with nodes where you have actual, it's actual programs that are evolving. So it's, it's a whole tree of, so you have operators if, then, else. So you can actually build to control robots, to control you know, AI and things like that. So it's it's more of a node-based thing, which makes it trickier to, I, I talked about the, the program I made, which was that you're, you know, it's not just flat data. You're allocating and deallocating, you know, hundreds of thousands of nodes. Uh, so there's a lot of memory allocation and things are harder to manage than just, you know, optimizing a, a flat set of numbers. So that that's what made it tricky. And it's it's really, really cool to see a, in machine learning, recently there's been a couple of demos online about, you know, robots playing soccer, I think, or, uh, you know, in video games, you know, you can kind of see at first the robots are kind of going around randomly and then they, they start playing a better game. It's this kind of behavior that you can get from node-based genetic programming also. But it, it feels like there hasn't been a whole lot. I mean, it's useful for, you know, the algorithms for initializing, you know, figuring out weights and things like that. But the programming part hasn't been that used and you know, I moved on from there. But yeah, really fun stuff to see out of pure chaos come out programs and it's really fun to see how sometimes it comes up with wacky solutions and i think that a lot of the you know ai solutions that are evolving you know that are self-evolved do that where they do something that looks completely insane but it gets the job done that's how it, the program evolved but you know you can see, what is he doing and then it just you know it, it does as long as the uh, the end condition is met you know, whatever the way that the program will, will be optimized that way. Right, right. So it sounds very similar to, you know, genetic algorithms. It's just that you're optimizing computer programs in this case, as opposed to, you know, whatever you're optimizing. But I guess the, the style of optimization is pretty much the same. It's a black box type of optimization and you have, you know, uh, features and cross programs and things like that. Yeah, sounds pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah, mutation and yeah, crossbreeding uh, and you know, yeah. So you're pretty much branching pieces of programming trees to each other. So you're, you know, you're you're putting a stem onto another stem at a certain place, and yeah, see what happens. So throw a lot of stuff, yeah, throw a lot of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that then. So lately, I guess we we've been we we've, we've seen the uh, what is it called GP three, the generative model that basically can also generate computer programs, which is a, a, another interesting, you know, kind of meta programming paradigm. Yeah, that thing can do a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Have you played, uh, what is it, AI Dungeon or um, that, that game where, you know, it's a text-based adventure and then you write and then, you know, it, it makes up a story as it goes. It's really oh, funny. Oh, I see it there. But yeah, AI dungeon, huh? That's an interesting one. You know I, what? Actually, that uh, you you go to e-commerce sites and look for uh, books written by this algorithm, and you can buy books written by this model, which is super oh, interesting, no. right? I I also you know <laughs> it also happened with uh, the painting, right? So there there was like uh, how do you call this the 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 sale of this like art. Uh, for I think it was like 50k or something like that some you know ridiculous amount and it was actually created by an AI whatever so it's like well very interesting <laughs> yeah wow that's a curiosity I know about buying a whole book though but it's uh, <laughs> damn well it's, it's a cool <laughs> author right because you you gotta you gotta kind of supervise that the model is actually you know outputting you know things that make sense nevertheless though I mean just having a whole book generated partly by an AI is pretty mind-blowing and it, it kind of hurts me because you know it took me like three years to write a book and he's like and now you have a, a computer program that can help you obviously a technical book versus you know like right uh, sci-fi or whatever other topics but still i mean it's, it's pretty remarkable in my opinion yeah yeah remarkable yeah. and scary <laughs> <laughs> True. you trained it on my kid's stuff and it'd be like my sister 
is stupid. <laughs> oh, okay. And it starts do fighting. Enough, do you have enough data yeah. to actually train it? Oh, plenty. My kids don't oh, shut up. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's about similar things all the time. So it's really a strong, you know, it's oh, a yes, strong yes. data set. Yeah. Yeah, no, generative stuff is is incredible. Uh, there's there's Dali. Have you seen that? Where it creates art. You know, you say I think the example is av- avocado and chair, and it creates a bunch of chairs shaped like avocados. It, it's just insanely, insanely crazy. That sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. No, th- this is really yeah fun that, stuff. That one scary. is actually pretty recent, right? The Dali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's two months in January. I think there's also music videos where it composes music you know, or lyrics and music based on, you know, a certain genre. It's really fun stuff. Yeah. So you mentioned about uh, Sweet Viz, you know, that you wanted to make it uh, interactive and uh, also, I think, what was the word that you use? Enjoyable or something like that? It does have a feeling of a game, though. I mean, if you look at it, the design actually has some feel of, of, you know, game-like and also, I wouldn't say that it's completely interactive, but I guess you did put some effort there because you kind of have to hover over stuff and things like that. What, in addition to what's already in there, did you want to add? Oh, again, how much time do we have? No, no not um, all of your plans. Okay. <laughs> Top two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be great if you could, you know, right now everything is pre-done because that was the, you know, the most, the quickest thing I could, I could, I could do is that, you know, if you just output every possible image that you could possibly, you know, create, you know, so I, for each data, I have the small version, the large version, and maybe a couple variations, but that becomes really heavy. If it was in real time, then I could just save the data and have some JavaScript create the graphs you know, at the user's request. So a user could say, oh, show me, you know, you could have a slider saying, oh, just show me between this and that, this and that. You know, that would be, I think, a huge bang for the buck. So you, you, you would have all the data and then you could do all these analyses in real time. Whereas right now you're limited to what's pre, was pre-baked initially. It's still pretty good, but, you know, and there's there's some limits to that because you can't bake in. If you have a two gigabyte data set, you can't put that in the web page, but you could, you know, there, there, there's there's a couple of things you could do that that would be uh, give the user more visibility into the, the graphs. Right now, I'm I'm pre. Quick clarification: mm-hmm. all of these graphs come with just like you said, with two lines, right? So you basically detect the, the variables, the the columns, let's say that that are relevant, and then you know, uh, autom- automatically generate all of these graphs. Is that yep. is that how it works right now? Yep, yep. It's uh, it's interesting because I think it's a way. You know, it's a bit counterintuitive to programmers because it's you, you really have to to uh, to do every case, right? It's it's for example, you have numerical and categorical data, and then your target value could be numerical or categorical. So now you need to do a graph for a case where, okay, if the target is numerical, but this variable is categorical, I'll do this type of graph and there's all these challenges and you need to make it fit. Okay. And then you need to do if it's categorical, categorical, numerical, categorical, and and you need to do all of these combinations. So, and that was, it was a bit tedious, but that's what makes it, I think, special is that, you know, the the computer does all the work for you. So it, 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 it's, you know, you just say, do your stuff and it will go in and case by case do, okay, what's the best way to display this data? What's the best way to, to display this data? So that's, uh, yeah. And that's why, that's why I think, because when you, you're doing data analysis, you know, again, you're, you're asking yourself the same questions over and over is just, yeah, sweet viz was attempt at, you know, going through every possible combination, taking care of it. So you don't have to. And uh, yeah, I'd love to do that for more steps. Like I said, would for, you know, detecting or replacing, you know, the next step would be to, you know, there's the EDA part, but then there's the data, the data prep repair part. I would really like to get into, but that that's a, a whole nother kind of worms. Do you take uh, pull requests? I'm not saying that I will submit one. <laughs> uh, I got a couple. This is my first open source project. So I was, you know, I learned as I went about, you know, in, in video games, you know, we're not, well, some some teams do, but we don't use GitHub. So I was kind of a, a noob with GitHub. So I had to kind of learn learn as I went. I think it went okay. I got a couple pull requests. I accepted a couple because it, it's great, you know, the the have people 
actually look at your code, figure it out because <laughs> sometimes, you know, you write this, I don't have a whole lot of time. I want to get this done. You kind of throw it out there and like, oh, you know, people are going to see this, but you know, you, you, you know, better to have it than have it not have it. So I, I you know, there, it was, I was, it was kind of, uh, you said, you know, earlier we were asking about people using it and, and such and such. It was, uh, I didn't get that feedback, but to see that people say, hey, I looked at your code and I thought you could fix this here. I was like, wow, that, you know, people are actually looking at it. So that, that was great. So yeah, when there's a good suggestion, I'll, I'll take it. Sometimes though, people will have suggestions that are good, but you know, it would otherwise maybe compromise part of the, the whole thing, right? You know, I want this feature, but then, you know, it wouldn't generalize. It would break some other cases. So I'm, I'm trying to be very conservative as to what I accept. So, you know, because it might, it might be intuitive to one person, but then it might, you know, not be intuitive for other people. So I, I um, you know, got to be careful. So that was a bit of a general description, but yeah, I'm trying to keep it so it's, it's very simple and, and generalized. But yeah, no, that makes sense. I've, I've seen that in other libraries where they get a pull request with a feature for, you know, that adds a bunch of functionality. And it's like, well, these two things that you added are in scope for what we want the library to do. And the others are useful, but should be in their own library because they're outside of the scope, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or people are seeing, you know, seeing things one way and then, like, yeah, I want I want this graph to show this, but then, you know, oh, you need to add another, you know, there might be implications where, oh, but what if you do categorical data, then this won't hold, then you need to redo this whole other part of the lib and it cascades to keep things consistent. Yeah, so it's, yeah, and there hasn't, I haven't had that many pull requests, so it hasn't been too, too, too bad of a problem, but it's definitely, definitely fun to do an open source project with, with people participating and things like that. And, you know, I try to be on top of bugs. Uh, that's another thing. There's so many environments, right? Somebody will say, I'm getting this weird, you know, right now there's one or two issues where people are getting their, their reports. It looks completely, you know, there's, you know, the scales are off, the graphs are all over the place. I have no clue why that's the case, right? Because it works for 99.9% .9 of people. And there's something in that person's configuration, you know, they, they're in Jupiter, there's this version, you know, there's there's something off. And that's... You need to create a Docker container. And they're like, just, it works in the Docker container, just, you know, no problem. <laughs> yeah, that is... That is one of those magical things, you know, working with games and, and Linux and things like that. It's just like, yeah, you just want something that, you know, it's a package. It just works in all cases. And that that's it. Yeah. Well, there's always going to be that, you know, that one person go like, oh, but it doesn't work because of this or that. <laughs> <laughs> always. Talk about there. That. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else we should hit before we do picks? Uh, yes, one more thing. I, I would All say right. that, so I'm sorry, we, I don't think we mentioned the Neo project though, but I think that that's probably, I don't know, in my in my view, that is to me the leap forward, right? Really interesting concept. I mean, I don't know how functional it is. Uh, you, you show a whole video with uh, with how to use it. And it seems pretty, pretty functional. I suppose you were wearing your VR. I mean, you mentioned that and then just like manipulating the data somehow. But yeah, can you talk about that project just a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of my, you know, looking at an Excel spreadsheet for an hour and, and trying to visualize it in my head. I, I'm I, sorry. What? I'm looking at an Excel spreadsheet for an hour. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I said, it's I'm I'm weird that way. I guess that's just fun to me. Uh, depending on what the data oh. is, just generally, you know, looking at oh. anyway. And but I wanted to see. If there was a way to to be, get a better understanding, it's more about getting a general feel for the for, for for the data. And it was really one of the experiments I did there was that you know you can visualize in two D on a computer screen, and then you can visualize in three D, but it's always you know on a screen it'll be a little bit to the side. So being in VR, you can be in the 3D and then you you can understand it a whole lot better. And that worked very, you know, really well. But the problem is there's very few problems that have three features. And one of the, the cool things I tried with that project was to do six-dimensional visualization. And that worked out decently wow. well where, <laughs> where you, you take six dimensions and... Uh, this is, I'm not going to be able to explain it, but you, you pretty much, you, you, you take three, there's three main dimensions, right? And then mm -hmm. the other three, you divide into quartiles, let's say. And so you make a cube, it's a cube of cubes, 
where every subcube is, let's say, a quartile of the data. Um, you should go see the video <laughs> because I don't think I'm going to get out of this. But basically, it's an attempt at visualizing at least six six degrees of freedom in the in the day, six variables at once, and that actually worked pretty pretty decently. But you know, it's not not going to go go higher than that. But this is the kind of, of weird stuff. The other thing I wanted to do was that with your hands, you can highlight a certain cube in, uh, of data, and you can get things like what's the average value of, of this and that feature, or you can see, oh, you know. It's really nice to be able to see clusters of false positives, false negatives, and things like that in inside because uh, you can visualize, you know, post post modelization and see what the results are and, and what the distribution is. One of the reasons I didn't push that that farther is that it didn't, you know, I didn't have personal problems that warranted visualization. Some I did some consulting where it really helped to be able to to visualize. But the thing with VR is that you need a VR kit. <laughs> and that was I did that four mm-hmm. years ago. We're on the cutting edge. Now there, there's more things where you don't need to be tethered. You can do that, you know, it's standalone. It's it's much more uh, user-friendly. So it might be more useful, but it's 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 an interesting uh, aspect that some people have found an actual you know business use for it, which which was great. But there, you know, it's it's still a bit of a niche, niche product project. There's one of the things I think. You know, I mentioned SweetViz, if I had all the time in the world, is real-time manipulation of models and, and data. Like I said, you know, replace the, the missing data with the average or replace with this or that, or maybe tune models more or less in real time. Or one of the things that the NEO project does is you can mark a cube and say, okay, I want to run the model just in this cube with this type of parameter and things like that. So you can, can kind of fine-tune your, your, your model with your own hands in real time visually, which is, uh, I didn't go too far in, but I did see, you know, results there. And that, that was really interesting. Any, you know, anything interactive is, is I think something that's under way underused in the field and in v, VR kind of takes it to the next level. Yeah. And I, I that's what I was going to say, actually, I was going to highlight that, that I think the, the leap forward portion is that you can actually interact with that data in a, uh, you don't have to be a programmer or a data analyst, right? You can just, you know, you, you have a bunch of data and, 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 you know, it looks like regular plots, but then you can actually go in there, zoom in, basically look at the little samples. Perhaps, you know, you could, you know, look at the single sample, you know, put it back into the data set. You have so many opportunities there for interacting with your data that, that I think is, you know, it's a pretty powerful idea. Yeah, of course, there needs to be a lot of work. I mean, but it's like any new idea, right? Yeah. And one of the things about VR is I'm a big proponent of, you know, to take technical term or, you know, buzzwords to have like a business impact. And that's part of the communication part you said. And, you know, VR is nice and flashy and everything. And I love it. And it's it's really magical to be inside the data. But, you know, it's very matrix. I'll name that Neo for a reason. But the... Um, you know, there needs to be a you know a business impact, and I think a lot of the interaction stuff that you can do in VR, right? You say, "Oh, look at a data sample and something like that." I think a lot of that you can already do in 2D, but people aren't even doing that, right? And that's kind of where SweetViz to me is doing the very basic EDA stuff that should be you know should be standard, but then you know. And it's not even doing that. But even without going into VR, there are things. There's huge potential for you know much better interactions that have a big impact without having to put on a a VR helmet. Right, right. And I think the 60s, I mean, that's okay. But I mean, you can also do that. I mean, you have just a bunch of 3D cubes, right? You can put that into a notebook. You don't have to do VR, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Just making sure. So, So, but I would say that interacting with the data and not having to tell, you know, you're talking about business impact. You're not going to have to have this, the business people actually go into, you know, a Jupyter notebook or, you know, sit next to a data analyst, uh, analyst. You can just tell them, here's the data. You can explore it. And, you know, if, if, there is a, if there is an intuitive way, and I think you did a couple of like menus and things like that, it's a really, really great idea, I thought, actually. So congrats on that one. So, but just to have a menu or whatever and, and have different options, I think that that brings a lot of business value right to be to let the decision makers be able to analyze the data in an intuitive way as opposed to you know multiple dimensions i think the multi multiple dimensions is a good idea 
just as it's a good idea to, you know, split the data and be able to, to kind of, you know, concentrate on a subset, right? But the interactive part, that, that is, again, leaps, right? Uh, that's a big jump, I would say. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the work, yeah, is is in uh, visualization and communication, as you as you were saying, and yeah, and people do use SweetViz for some of that. I think that's a you know that's a very basic step. And then uh, yeah, the other thing about VR is that the the data scientist you you can do a video, and that's something that's you know I, I obviously did. But if you do want to point things out, even you know a video of somebody going into VR can can explain you know can be useful to to explain something. But then then again, yeah, that's that's another another level of communication. Very cool. Hey, folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Now, you know, you haven't been on the show before, so we'll just explain. Picks are just things you want to shout out about on the show. Some folks pick tech stuff every week. Some folks pick like book stuff or other stuff every week. There was a guy on one of the shows that picked beer, a different beer every week. So, I mean, just whatever kind of floats your boat. So, uh, Miguel. Do you have some things you want to shout out on this this week? Yeah, so I started watching. I don't know if I, I did this one, but I, I'll do it only. I'll do it again if I if I already mm-hmm. mentioned this one. But I started watching the Deep Unsupervised Learning course, Berkeley co- course uh, by uh, Peter Abiel and colleagues. And I think it's pretty good. So for folks who like that kind of stuff, I am going to share that link and let, you know, folks know about it. It's pretty good. I actually watched two lectures and obviously what interests me is uh, the relationship between this and reinforcement learning, but they do mention that a few times and and yeah, pretty good course. So highly recommend it. Nice. I'm going to do a couple of shout outs related to dev influencers. So first of all, if you are interested in dev influencers, what I'm finding is that some people, they get kind of to the top of their, their game, right? So they they don't really have many opportunities for advancement where they are, or that advancement looks like moving into management or architecture or infrastructure. And it's not the direction they want to go, right? They want to keep playing with code or finding cool stuff like this to play with. You know, they're listening to this, but don't really have the opportunity to move into it. And so, yeah, they're looking for what's next. And the influencer stuff is kind of the opportunity where they can go play with stuff and they go talk about it. And, you know, you get to help people out along the way. So, devinfluencers.com is where all that stuff's going to live. The podcast is going to be there. If you want to be part of the Dev Influencers Accelerator, get coached by me on how to set up a podcast and do all that cool stuff. You can go to devinfluencers.com slash apply. And yeah, we do a weekly call, coaching. I am also basically doing like texting with people. So if they get stuck or anything during the week, you know, you don't have to wait for the call. I'll just help you get unstuck and we'll keep you moving. I've also been using Teachable. So the the tools I'm using for that are Teachable. And I'm just putting videos up, right? They're a little bit raw. I'm going to go back and polish them and turn it into a course. But right now I'm just getting the stuff in that people need. And I'm really liking the platform Teachable. So uh, teachable.com. And I'll put a link in. I'm trying to get an affiliate link. Doesn't cost people any more, but I like getting a kickback when I recommend a product I like. So teachable.com. It's pretty awesome. Another one that I'm using is Voxer, Voxer Voxer.com. And essentially what it is, is it's a phone app and you can do text type messages on it, kind of like WhatsApp or whatever, but it has a big orange button at the bottom of it. And if you hold the button in, it'll record a voice memo and send it to the person on the other end or to the group. And that's pretty convenient. I much prefer sending somebody a voice memo than to try and type on my phone. 
And so I like being able to just, you know, respond to somebody and just tell them what they need to, we need to do to get unstuck. So I like that. It's pretty convenient. So Voxer app on your iPhone or Android phone. And then the other thing that I'm using is Thrivecart. And that's what I'm using for the, to let people pay for the accelerator. And the reason I'm using Thrivecart, so Teachable has a shopping cart function built in and it's terrible. It, it is, it's just terrible, right? Um, I've talked to some people about like Kajabi, which is another system kind of like Teachable. Their shopping cart, also terrible, okay? Thrivecart is awesome. It lets you do the subscriptions. It lets you do the, the sales and the upsells. It's, it's really terrific. So thrivecart.com, also trying to get an affiliate link on there, but it's, it's a great product. And so if I don't have one in the show notes, by the time you're ready to buy it, just go get it anyway, right? Because it's a great product. But I'm really, really digging these products. They work really, really well. And I'm recording the videos with ScreenFlow and that's at screenflow.com, which I think will take you to the telestream.com product. I've been using them forever, but it, it only works on Mac, but it works really, really well. And I'm really happy with that. So those are my picks. Francois, what are your picks? Well, I didn't prep anything, but you know, I would, I would give a, a shout out to Feature Tools. I haven't really used it a whole lot, but it is definitely, it feels like, as good as any lib out there along the lines of what I said about automating things, you know, for prepping data, what it does is it automates feature engineering to some degree. So it takes some, you know, it mixes, it combines existing features and data sets and does, you know, a whole bunch of automated synthesis to to try to find things in, in a data set that that could be uh, significant to help uh, modelization. Anyway, it's I would say to check them out because it's it's along those lines of automating things and helping out something that you know doesn't need to be you know so so manual labor intensive. And you know it uses the broad power of computers to find you know combine you know hundreds of things together that manually would, would take way too long. So I check that out. And, you know, in general, if you're, if you find yourself, you know, solving the same problem over and over to, you know, to, to check out if there are libraries like that, like feature tools or EDA libs like Pandas Profiling or SweetFizz that can automate a lot of what you're doing day to day, because there are, you know, a lot of people out there, lots of libs and lots of problems are solved that, you know, you might not, think of of looking for automated solutions. That's it. Cool. And uh, one more question. If people want to connect with you online, I'm guessing you're on GitHub and Twitter at at the very least. Where do they find you online? I have my website. I don't know if I should give it or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, it's, it's FB is, you know, FB Francois Bertrand, designpro.com probably. And then there's my email and and some bio info there, but the GitHub for SweetViz is also a a great place, especially, you know, anything related to SweetViz. GitHub now has these discussion, this discussion feature, which is great. So so just general chat. So that's another place there to, to, if, if it's not necessarily with SweetViz, you can just hit me up there. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Francois. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. It was great. Like I was telling you earlier, it's my first kind of podcast. So, you know, appreciate the opportunity. It was really a lot of fun. All right. We'll go ahead and wrap up here. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.